dude. And this is the Pop Style Opinion Fest. Hello, kittens. Welcome back to another edition of the PSO. I am the T in your T, low Tom Fitzgerald. And I'm here with the low in your T, low Lorenzo Marquez, my lovely husband. Hello. How are you? Oh, great. We had a busy, crazy <laughs> week. <laughs> crazy week. Lots more and more. Of unexpected things well, happening. Yeah, more and more. <laughs> our job is, a huge part of our job is taking place, for lack of a better term, off stage. Um just you know book promotion stuff where where um we'll be doing a corporate presentation in a couple of months and we had to do some right. you know groundwork on that and go over a contract and that sort of thing and there was a pitch for a magazine article right. that it's just a ton of emails just a out ton <laughs> and, and zoom meetings and all this other stuff that uh, a couple of times this week, we both stopped in the middle of our franticness and said, it is good to be at a point in your career where you have a lot of things right. going on. Speaking of Zoom meetings, they have to go. I, <sighs> I'm so over No, I mean, people are way too used to them now. And sometimes you don't need to show up, uh, you know, literally. No. Uh, uh, you don't have to see me. Can we just talk? Yeah. Can we just go back to phone? Oh, my God. Yes. I, I think that... Because then you have to worry about the way you look. You have to work on the lighting and everything. You just... Uh, oh, it. and that's the other thing. We have to shoot a whole bunch of videos this oh, weekend. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, social media videos for book promotion stuff. Um, oh, and on that note, I want to revisit... So that everyone knows we have um, dates coming up. Yeah, yes. Let me just put this away. Um, let's see. Okay, we are going to be in D.C. We finally have all the information on that. It is June 26th at the Riggs Hotel in D.C. at 4 p.m. We will be giving having a conversation yes. uh, with local um, D.C. drag queen and, and fabulous person Pussy Noir. It will be um, sort of moderating the conversation and uh, we'll be signing the book. So it's really exciting. That's the Riggs Hotel, June 26th at 4 p.m. in Washington, D.C. The details are on our site. It is a ticketed event, not for charge. It's totally free, but you have to call. You have to email. Yes, you have to confirm. And reserve your spot. And um, we said this in the post on our site that has all the details, but uh, I'll repeat it here, which is we're super nervous about these events. I'm not even going to front about this because it's, you know, 14, 15 months after the release of our book coming out after lo- lockdown. If it was a normal book tour, I would be very confident like, oh, yes, we're 100 people at least are going to show up because that's what always shows up with us. But it's late, you know, and, right. and everyone's, you know, so... Please consider coming out. Please show up. Please, 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 please show up. It's a fabulous hotel. It is a fabulous hotel. They all of this was offered to us on a platter for free yes, by the yes. Riggs Hotel by TIAPR. They contacted us and they were like, "They're wonderful. Yeah. We want you to come to DC. We want to throw something for you." And we were like, "Yeah." Okay. And we do love DC. I mean, we still talk about our first time in DC. Remember when mm-hmm. we were there? With, and there were so many people, and everyone was so friendly. So we do, we love D.C. That's where we had our honeymoon. Yes, it's, I know. Yeah, D.C. is special. And um, I also want to point out, it's Pride, and we wrote a big old gay book. So there's a couple things. There's also Thursday, June 24th, we're doing a virtual event at 7 p.m. Eastern Time with the History Project documenting LGBTQ Boston. It'll be largely the same sort of format. We're going to be doing a conversation, answering questions. Um it's virtual, so we won't be signing books. But um, the History Project has paired with a uh, local bookstore to to which we have sent off at mm-hmm. least 30 autographed book plates. So you can actually buy signed books from us through this event. And again, you have to... Uh, you have to um, RSVP in order to right. get a ticket. It's a ticketed virtual event. doesn't cost a thing. Um, and again, if you are considering doing this, please consider doing it. Um, you would be helping out East End Books in Provincetown who have taken on the task of sending out autographed copies of the book. So think about that. Yeah. The RSVP is on Eventbrite and the information, mm-hmm. again, is on our site. It's on our site. It's on Instagram and also uh, on Twitter. It's everywhere. The, the easiest thing to do is yeah. go to our site at yes. the top of the page, click on Legendary, and the three latest posts in that category are about our events. The third one is 
in Las Vegas, Wednesday, June 30th at 7 p.m. at the Clark County Library in Las Vegas. Um, I can't wait. It is free and open to the public seatings on a first-come, first-served basis. And again... Never ever did an event in Vegas. Have no idea <laughs> been there. if we even have any readers or fans there. So a uh, little nervous. So yeah. please consider coming out. I'm excited. It'll be fun. I am excited. I, I mean, we say we're nervous, but I'm actually really excited. And honestly, as I said to Lorenzo, if it weren't for the fact that other people have put <laughs> effort into this and were so nice about right. doing it, I would be fine if five or ten people showed up. But I feel like other people are really showing us the love right. you know the clark county library the the history project of boston and and um riggs hotel and politics and prose is is took on books for the dc event so again please come out and please consider buying a book if and you already fun. have one you can always give it to a niece or nephew or right. some queer ally or or young gay per- queer person in your family and it's fun it's always fun because we get we to always meet you make guys. it fun yeah, we always talk about how we love meeting you guys and t- talking to each one of you a little bit it's just fun Answering I don't questions. have a photographic memory. I truly do not. But I, I swear, I remember faces of people. I do. I remember from conversations. Years later. I, I, I even remember conversations. And, yep. and it's always nice. It's always fun. And it means I'm, a lot to us. It means a lot to us. I'm always grateful. I appreciate all the support. Uh, never take that for granted. I right. mean, we always, always appreciate you guys. So thank you. Show up. Show up. We'll, we'll appreciate you even more if you show up. I know. I and just, even more if you buy a book. But in a, it's been busy, and I just want to say hi to Anne. Hi, Anne. So nice to meet you. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. Just oh, I, I wasn't, I forgot what yes, you were talking about. I don't want to get into all the details because, you know, it's private lives or whatever. But, but yes. it was very sweet hi to Hi to Anne you. and Neil. It yes. was great seeing you this week. Okay. Um, so, yes, returning to these events, just real briefly, you can go to our page, TomandLorenzo.com, our page, our site, our GeoCities page, <laughs> TomandLorenzo.com, <laughs> click on Legendary at the top of the site, and the, the, you'll have all the information laid out for you for all of these events, DC, Las Vegas, and a virtual event. All happening this month, very exciting. Yay. Now, we said last week that because it was Pride... We wanted to do something pridey in each podcast this month, and um, I want to get a little local uh, just to talk briefly about someone who we touched on in the book, in our book, Legendary Children, but um, fascinating, absolutely fascinating figure. She was fascinating to me Mm -hmm. decades before, well, a decade before I came out when I was a little more than 13 or 12 or 13 years old. I remember seeing her in local media and thinking who is this impossibly glamorous person i'm talking about rachel harlow rachel harlow is a somewhat legendary transgender woman who um uh, is famous in philadelphia because in the 70s she opened up a string of nightclubs she was very much a girl about town uh, which fascinates me because there's no such thing as Girl About Town in Philadelphia anymore. But if you go and you read the, say, the society columns that she was featured in at the time, it's like, wow, they really there really was like this buzzing sort right. of scene. I read some interviews that she actually went to New York, tried New York, the Stonewall, uh, you know, she ball. She played at Stonewall. But she always came back to Philadelphia because she wanted to support the local, uh, you know, queer community. Yeah, that's what I really, truly love about her is that um, she did actually reach actually international levels of fame briefly. um, And she still did almost all her work, her career, her life, everything came back to Philadelphia. She was a she is a Philly girl through and through. So let me run down who she is and was. Um. Rachel Harlow was born in South Philadelphia, um, uh, and in the late 60s, she started, she was, you know, designated male at birth, and she was uh, living as a man at the time. And like a lot of trans women, especially back then, way more common back then, um, in the early part of her adult life, she she was living as a gay man in the gay social community, right. going out to gay bars and everything like that. A lot, a lot of trans women. This, I've talked about this before in our history as a community, LGBTQ plus community. There are just points in which the lines are so blurred as to who. I mean, we understand it now. I, I there's no question that Rachel uh, it was a trans woman. She was never a gay man, but. 
um, the way people saw themselves, the way people defined themselves was so blurred back then. Right. Legendary um, Sylvia Rivera. She, you can look at interviews over the course of her life and every single time she referred to her, it was something else. Yeah. She was a transvestite. She was a crossdresser. She mm-hmm. was a gay man. She was at one point a gay woman, she said. Right. I mean, uh, back then you were a straight man acting straight or you were something else. And that something else, you know, could be anything at the time. Now and, it's a little more specific. And, right. And but not back then. But even back then, trans women and gay men saw trans women as just men in dresses. As right. Not, right. So, and this is why there's such a um, overlap between drag history and, and the history of trans women because you know that is where they overlap. Drag was largely created by trans women, and there's an argument to be made that it was appropriated by gay men. It was an art form that was sort of appropriated away from trans women. Uh, that's a little too, even I, that's so hard to mm-hmm. disentangle because gay men have been doing drag for, you know, on the stage for a hundred years. Uh, but drag as we know, it probably was developed uh, as an art form by trans women. So, okay. Rachel um, left South Philly and started doing uh, drag pageants. She first one she did was in Philadelphia in like 1966, 1967. She caught the eye of a drag impresario uh, named Jack Dorishow, who uh, performed under the name Mother Sabrina. And he ran a string of um, uh, drag pageants uh, across the country. He, he, he uh, she, he, she, uh, I don't know that Jack, Jack called herself Sabrina for most of the rest of her life, mm-hmm. but I don't know that she ever called herself a woman. Um at a time when you, it was legal to, uh, for a man to dress like a woman. Jack you had have to remember a all string, that. Yeah. or Sabrina had a string of, um, of arrest records. And in right. fact, when she got out of the pageant business, which she did, she uh, became a trans and drag activist, and she went around the country contesting all these laws and getting laws turned over. And I'm, I'm going off on all these tangents because that is part of what fascinates me about Rachel Harlow is the uh, way she intersects all this stuff. Mm-hmm. You can look at all these intersections of pop culture, trans history, gay history, drag history, and she's always there. Um, so, okay, she uh, in, in 1967, she took part in the Miss Camp uh, Manhattan beauty pageant in New York. Andy Warhol was one <laughs> of the judges. It was shot at, for a document. The whole thing was shot for a documentary that it, um, became known as The Queen. It was released the following year in 1968. We talk extensively about The Queen in our book. It is most famous for launching um, Crystal LaBeija into mm-hmm. the legendary atmosphere of queer history and drag history, Crystal LaBeija. We have profiled extensively in our book, and we actually profiled her on our site. She... Um, became famous for that scene where she tears into Rachel Harlow for winning the pageant. And then she became famous 10 years later for launching um, the ball community for black people and people of color, yanking it away from white people. She established the houses and the mothers. She established the house of LaBeja. It was the first one. She was the first mother of the ball. So everything that you see on Pose and Paris is Burning was created by Crystal right. LaBeja, who, again, intersects with Rachel Harlow. The uh, film opens in 1968. It was a brief cause celeb. It never, it was never more than an underground film. However, it opened at the Cannes Film Festival. Yes, and she was there. And Rachel Harlow was there, posing on the red carpet. This, this girl <laughs> from South Philly. And the this... story is that even David Bowie was there and, and loved her yes. and talked to her. And, that was and my next thing. point. David Bowie cited her later as an influence on his androgyny. This is what a amazes me about this largely forgotten figure is how much she intersects with all of this stuff. Um, When we were researching the book, okay, let me tell you about my thing with Rachel Harlow. When she was in the, in the seventies and early eighties, she was um, still in Philly. She had left the whole drag pageant scene. She transitioned actually in the early seventies. And she was quite the local celebrity for being the. And she was, I mean, her, she lived up to her name. She actually was a beautiful woman. Um, and she did look like Harlow. She had uh, Jane Harlow. She had blonde hair, very plucked eyebrows, huge blue eyes. She was glamorous in a way that Philly <laughs> was not glamorous in the 70s. I mean, if you saw the original Rocky film, that is what Philly looked like. Oh that is what God. we were like. 
And here was this woman who was just, she looked like a vote cover. And she had a, she had a string of nightclubs called Harlow. Um, the first one and the most famous one uh, is literally like three blocks from right now, where we live. By it and when I was doing research for the book, I went, I found the address and I went down, it's down a little alleyway in our neighborhood. And she was the hostess. She was the hostess. It was named after <laughs> yeah. her. And I'm, I gasped when I saw it because the front of the building looks exactly the same as it did. And it has this very 70s sort of architecture to it. Um, so, and then to, to really bring it up to, I know, I know this is the super juicy part. <laughs> um, she began a very public relationship. This is in the 70s. She was famous as a drag queen and a trans woman. Mm-hmm. And if you look at newspaper clippings of the time, they miss, They call her a he, they call her a man in a dress. This is how she was seen at the time, even though she had transitioned. Um, but she started dating Jack Kelly, who was a local Philadelphia uh, city councilman who was running for mayor. That would be sort of interesting, except he's Grace Kelly's brother. <laughs> okay? So Grace Kelly's brother is running for mayor of Philadelphia in like 1970, I don't know, four or something? I, I can't remember the dates. And the whole city knows that he is openly dating a transgender woman. This is 50 years ago. I stand in Philadelphia, which is not a cutting-edge cultural city. This is why she's a fascinating... And he was also an athlete, right? He, he, oh, yeah, he was yeah. an Olympic athlete. He yeah. was gorgeous. He was gorgeous. He was, yeah. gorgeous. Like, was like he a was, male Grace Kelly. He was Kelly. famous, and he was... Oh, all, he was... Yeah. He was a leading... The Kellys were leading Philadelphians. Right. Um, you know, um, Betty on... On um, Mad Men is based. Her family is based on the Kelly. Betty Draper, yeah. Betty Draper. So um, we're talking leading, and he was a a national figure, not just because of Grace Kelly, but because he was an Olympic athlete who basically looked right. like a freaking movie star. And it was an intense star. relationship. They they used to go out and go to restaurants and everywhere. Oh, you know, absolutely, like everywhere. Yeah, it, it wasn't like the, some. I found the clipping from thing. someone who said she can remember being at Vet Stadium in, in South Philly, which is not even in there anymore. And um, Harlow and, and Jack Kelly came to take their seats for a baseball game, and everybody was buzzing about <laughs> Harlow oh and Jack Kelly. Like, it's insane to me. But she had a real mystique about her. Um, and I, I think that's what propelled her into all these situations and crossing with all of these people, even though... She didn't run off to Hollywood, and she really didn't run off to New York. She stayed here in Philly and became this world-influential figure that people still talk about 50 to 60 years later. She, um, Her nightclubs all closed, as is the nature of most nightclubs, city anyway. nightclubs. They yeah. only last, a Studio 54 only lasted three years. Um, she And then in the 80s, she met, in the early 80s, she met a man who was a, a, a like a patisserie, like a... Uh, pastry, pastry chef pastry chef yeah uh and in one of the city's leading french restaurants um and they hit it off and they got married and they opened a pastry shop also and, called and, a, and a restaurant called harlow yeah uh, in 1980 yeah. 1988 i think i don't remember. and they actually yeah. went for a couple of years they were franchising they were opening places up right. down in the south again can i just say here that this is not how the culture was back then no. the culture wasn't letting trans women do this sort of stuff no and you can talk about if you please go look her up. She was a blonde, blue-eyed, very pretty, well, yeah. passing woman. Um, so there's privilege that comes with that. I understand that, but I think about remember the first Bond girl turned out to, to be trans, and it was this huge scandal and right, everything. Right. And this is roughly around the same time. And you have to remember at the time, people even commented saying that she passed as a woman. Well, I mean that was common. Yeah, that's which what realness it, which, means. Yes, which it was a term used yeah. a lot, uh, questionable today. But you know, at the time, right. you know, she looked like a woman. That's what they. Used well, to we say. described her in the book when we were talking about Crystal LeBeja. I said she was a pretty realness serving queen which is how she would have been talked about at the time because she looked like a woman whether she was in drag or not um and the film really focuses on her and tries to make her the star of the film like they follow her on the street in the way that they don't they don't the other girls they they, i was actually reading something the other day about the movie that when she's on stage the the lighting is completely different so focus on her (laughs) i mean she did look like you know bridget bardot in drag she was just this amazingly beautiful woman in drag um and it's why Crystal went off on her. 
so that's that's my little fascination with Rachel Harlow. And part of the reason we wanted to talk about her is because I'm actually really proud that this international figure, this trans yeah, historical course. figure, it came from our hometown and stayed in our hometown, stubbornly refused to leave Until Philadelphia. Until today. Yeah, she's still here. Um, I, I Over the years, we've heard a couple readers tell us, either on social media or in posts or something, that they're either in touch with her or they used to be in touch with her. And I'm going to say this now to anybody who's listening who may have information. I have some idea of where Rachel is. I know she divorced her husband in the early 90s, and she... Uh, she, she remained very, very close to her family. She lived with her mother for many years. She lived with a sister for many years. Um, and I believe I have some idea of where she's living in the city. It's kind of interesting how reclusive she has become, be- mm. considering how somewhat splashy her life used to be. When Kino Lorber released The Queen, they remastered it and released it to theaters in 2019. And Rachel um, Rolling Stone did this huge write-up, not huge, but they did a write-up about it, and they reached out, and they could barely get a quote out of her, even though this movie is built around much her. about her and, and LaBeija. <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, so she's reclusive. Um, I, I've done some little sleuthing online, and I know that she um, has still has friends in the local gay community. She has been seen out in certain... Um, queer-friendly establishments. Mm -hmm. My understanding of her, the way she has lived almost her entire life from the time she left the drag world is she, like a lot of trans women of her generation, she never saw herself as part of the queer community. Right. Or at least for a long time she didn't. Uh, She saw herself, and she has every right to see herself as a woman, as a straight woman who was, you know, attracted to men. And she, she, but my understanding is that she still kind of hangs out with, she has gay friends in the community. Right. So I'm putting a little... A call out there to anyone who may know anything about Rachel's whereabouts. We are very interested in getting in touch with her or at least hearing how she's doing. Mm-hmm. She's very important to us. We tried to work her into our book as much as possible. And um, we really would love, love, love an opportunity <laughs> to interview this woman. But she, we know how hard she is to get a hold of. Um, so if anybody out there can can tell us anything and about it. Is, yeah. Um, we would never bother her. We no, would never, not. nothing like that. But you can drop us a line at tomandlorenzo at gmail.com um, to let us know because we really would love, love, love mm-hmm. to, if nothing else, if nothing else, just drop our line and say, you inspired me when I was 13 and I didn't even know what I was. Um, anyway, this is a great segue to talk about Bombas socks. Yes. You wouldn't think it would, but Bombas has a pride collection, and it is the I cutest, it's amazing. funnest so thing cute. we've seen this year. Pride is a time to celebrate all things LGBTQ+, but pride also means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. That's why this year, Bombas is choosing to be proud in every way of your sexuality, your gender, your culture, all the things that have shaped your unique pride. And they're doing it with a new collection of colorful clothing inspired by all the different experiences that make up the LGBTQ community. Before I launch into the rest of the copy, I do want to say here that uh, Bombas is not one of those companies that slaps a rainbow on something once, you know, for four weeks right. in no, June. That's not true. They yeah, have agree. always been, uh, they've always had... Um, they have always supported the community. Always supported the community year-round, have always had sort of uh, pride-related stuff yeah. in their collections year-round. This is not some thing that they just did this month. I, I know we're huge supporters of them because we love their socks, but it's true. Um, so let me get back to the copy. But I did want to just, as a gay consumer and yeah, gay podcast, no, I, I, I want agree. you to understand Bombas is not one of those companies that just, they're not slapping a rainbow. They they walk the walk and they talk the talk. And I'll tell you why. There's something for everyone in this collection. Want socks inspired by different pride flags? Bombas made some. Like they have like the trans flag. It's not just the rainbow flag. Like they really went all of the bi flag, all that stuff. Maybe you're looking for a super soft striped rainbow shirt, which they also made. They even have special pride underwear that are so colorful you'll have to resist showing them off. I have to admit my love is for the um, the classic rainbow striped socks. They have some really cute. They have one that is just the rainbow, but then they have other ones where it's like a, a tube, classic athletic tube sock right, right, with right. a rainbow on it. There's one called the Super Strife Pride Calf Sock, which is Lorenzo's absolute I know, favorite. I know, I love them. They have like tie-dyed pride stuff, great little tank tops and stuff like that. Um, so... The Bombas Pride Collection is also designed... Oh, this is where I'm. what I'm talking about, all right? It's not just about slapping rainbows. 
The Bombas Pride Collection is also designed to give back. For every clothing item you purchase, another item will be donated to someone affected by homelessness in the LGBTQ plus community. Homelessness disproportionately affects the entire LGBTQ plus population, but people of color and transgender individuals within the community are even more at risk for it. That's why each donation will be getting donation. My Philly accent came out. Each donation will be going to one of three organizations working specifically with transgender and BIPOC communities. So to shop the collection and learn more about the organizations your purchase will be supporting. See, that's what they mean. They back it up. They back it up. Visit bombas.com slash TLO and use code TLO to get 20% off your first order. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash T-L-O. Their pride collection's adorable. It is. All right. Adorable. I agree. I've done a lot of talking. So, so I'm just going to let you. All right. Um, why don't we do hacks? Yes. We're doing a whole potpourri today thing. So we're going to touch on hacks because the, the, the Gene Smart um, series on HBO Max, which just had its series finale. I won't get into. I don't think we're getting into super spoily stuff, but we just want to do an overview no. of why it's so great. What else? Oh, we wanted to talk a little bit about uh, Dr. Jill Biden. Yes. And her fashion choices this week. Uh, and how she's in in England. And we'll get into that. And also maybe a little bit about uh, Lilibet, Diana, and mm-hmm. the kerfuffle surrounding the new baby <laughs> name. Because, of course, Megan and Harry can't do anything that doesn't turn into a scandal. So mm. I'm going to stop talking and sip my tea. And you're going to talk all about hacks. Hacks. Well, f- the first thing about hacks is that and you see that a lot happening right now is that there's so much TV out there that sometimes I feel like they're not talking about a specific show enough. At least, right. you know, I always feel that way. I'm like, I, I, I've I, seen a ton of articles about hacks, but I, I still think that it's such a great show. Right. Um, they were very talented. Both ladies are amazing. Uh, Jean Smart and Hannah Einbender. Einbender. Yeah, they're both fantastic. And it, actually, in the beginning, I didn't like Hannah. Um, I her love Anna's her performance in the beginning, but I, you know, I just and then you get used to it, and then you understand her character. A little She's better. a salute to awkward assholes. I know she and just then is just an awkward asshole. Love her, and yeah. I just love her now. Um, I think the everything about the show is so great. The fact that they're focused on these two interesting women, um, intelligent, intelligent women, and and um, just. Ambitious women. women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean... It's just great. And they're not nice people. (laughs) No, neither one of them. Not really, although you do love them Not really, but you do love them. You understand, or at least you you, you get to see their their struggle, their experience in the business. Right. Um, It's just a a beautiful story, I think. Um, And the the characters are amazing. Uh, The the dialogues are fantastic yeah everything uh, about the show what i love about the writing especially it can became the last two episodes especially the penultimate episode um where hannah goes on a job interview and lies to her about it uh ava goes on a job interview and lies to uh deborah about it i actually had to pause it a couple times because it was so hard i'm like oh my god this is a disaster this is gonna blow up oh my it's so the tension is so high this is so awful because when you know um and then also uh without giving anything away marcus her um coo Mm uh that guy has a very sympathetic storyline but at the same time He's not always on the same page. Like he's not always doing what right by Deborah. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can understand. So my the point I'm trying to make without giving away too many spoilers is that I like that the writing is complicated mm-hmm. because everyone has an agenda and those agendas don't overlap and right. and it doesn't make flawed. any of them bad people. They're but, very flawed. All yeah, of like Marcus is a prime example. Clearly a sympathetic person. Clearly mm-hmm. not a bad person. And I'm not saying he's written as a villain, but he is bumping up against what Deborah's trying to do with her life. And and so he comes off as this antagonist. And I just think that's good writing because mm-hmm. he's not, no one's bad here, but people have different perspectives and it's leading them to cross with each other in different ways. Same way he really doesn't like Ava and is almost sabotaging her work in some ways. And that could be looked at villainous or it could be looked at, He's trying to protect, mm-hmm. you know, what he knows as the status quo. So I like that. The writing is deceptively adult. It seems like it might be really sitcom-y. And when I say adult, I mean it's complex. I mean it's nuanced. Right. These people, 
they may act cartoony on film. The one who plays the mayor of Las Vegas with the microphone. Hilarious. But that's the thing about the show. Is or the that blackjack dealer. Sometimes her they, they, yes. Oh, and, oh my God. Uh, they just, sometimes they just say one line and you actually have to take that line and separate it into three different parts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that you can digest the whole thing because there's so much humor and uh, sarcasm. Right. Uh, in just one sentence. I really love it. The whole thing, and the, and then you just have beautiful moments like when Deborah asks Marcus about the shoes, and he says, "Oh, you know, you should always go as you know, pain is not worth it." Yeah, and she chooses the painful and shoes, that, which means so much. It does at, for a woman, right? You know, uh, to Especially make that choice, a nearly seventy-year-old yeah, woman to make that choice uh, about something simple yet so symbolic as a pair of shoes. So yeah, I love that about show. Um, Jane Smart is uh, having the renaissance of her career, but as a lot of people have pointed out, this has been going on for a while. Like there was never a, a fallow point in Jane Smart's career. She's worked hard, and she's been in a lot of. No- mm-hmm. It wasn't just designing women. Like she was in Twenty Four, and and she was in. Uh, she won for an Emmy for being on Fraser. Um, she's she's been all over, and even and even prior to like Mayor of Easttown and, and Fargo, she was doing Legion. She was doing all of these really interesting mm-hmm. shows. Um, and I loved, because I think it's really easy to um, to sort of dismiss the career of someone who maybe did a lot of sitcom work and is the sort of the equivalent of a day player where she bounced around on a lot of different shows through the years. I always remember her as the really horny neighbor in the Brady Bunch movie. She was hilarious as that. But she's in the movie for like five minutes. Um, so it's really nice to see... Uh, her just getting these roles that aren't like Deborah's a great role because it's not super showy the way a lot of her roles have had mm-hmm. to be. Um, it there's so much small work being done, like theatrical style mm-hmm. acting being done, where it's all in what she doesn't say. It's mm-hmm. all in her her body language and everything like that. It really gives her a chance to show off the 40 years of experience that has led her to this moment. And as you noted, she's really beautiful. They she's do gorgeous. a spectacular yes, job on I her makeup. The and her costumes night, yeah. are gorgeous. And I was like, she is so beautiful. Yeah. She, she has a beautiful face. And she's funny. She can be her anything. Her timing is impeccable. Yes, she can be anything. It's uh, razor it's sharp. It's been honed for 40 years. You give that woman a line, she will know what to do with yeah. that line. And it's just a beautiful journey, at least for me, to see those these two women, these two artists. Right. Uh, sort of like getting to know each other a little bit, you know. Across the generations. Right. And it's a generational sort of c- comedy drama, and it allows both... Um, uh, Ava is sort of on the cusp of Gen Z. She's if she's a millennial, a millennial no, she's, she's a, a very young one. Yeah. She, yeah, she even does. She got pissy when they called her a millennial because she said millennials are forty years old. So let's say Gen Z and a baby boomer, and it it checks off all the boxes that each of the mm-hmm. <laughs> each of those generations uh, ha- all the issues they each have with each other. It allows um, you know Deborah to really tear into Gen Z for all the reasons right, baby right. boomers tend to tear, and then it allows um, Ava to come in and and explain the so, and it none none of it is strident. Like mm-hmm. they're both assholes half the time. They what both I, insult each other half right. the time. What I love about the show is the show is very good. Sometimes I feel like the show the show is is too much a inside joke kind of show fair uh that you have to understand la you have to kind of understand the business a little bit the entertaining business to to get all the jokes and and all the points that's they probably make. fair um but it's just it, the show does such a great job in in showing how artists how performers how people in the entertainment is, is they're so insecure about everything yeah and they and it's a whole life uh, that that's all you do is it's to fight for the next day. Right. Uh, you never know what's going to happen with your career. You never know where you're going to be the next day. If you're going to have a job, if you're going to be successful, that pressure, daily pressure to perform, to do your best and to actually have a job the next day. Uh, and I think they do, they do such a great job showing that, um, you know, you, you never let you guard down. You just always, always alert and ready right. for the next. Um, and you and it's notable that the main storylines are um, a woman approaching seventy, right? Uh, a young bisexual girl and a 
approaching middle-aged black gay man. So these are all people mm-hmm. in positions that have to fight that much harder for anything they can get. Um, Ava is probably, is easily the most privileged in terms of her, where she sits. Um, but there's this undertone. There, First off, there's an undertone of queerness to it, even though um, Deborah's not. But Ava's bi, and there was a whole thing with her ex-girlfriend in the final two episodes. And there's a big gay romance that hit a major stumbling block in the finale. So uh, it's, it's very subtly about about not the being not as privileged, you know, fighting for power when you have, when you're further down on the privileged ladder. Right, right. A lot of focus is put on Deborah as a woman of, of years who is still fighting to remain viable. Um, but the whole thing is permeated by this sort of philosophy that, um, who's the one villain in the piece? The right. white man, They're the all, white guy. Yes. Uh, the wealthy white guy is the villain, and everybody else is not that, and is struggling to, you know, it is one of those quietly diverse shows. You know, the the black man's boyfriend is is Latino. The um, the blackjack dealer is an Asian woman. None of this, she's hilarious. Hysterical. None of this is forced or right. mentioned, or or it's just, this is the world. This is the way the world looks, especially for people who travel in that world. Her daughter. No, let's not her, daughter her daughter is, I can't remember the actress. She's from always sunny in Philadelphia. She's very, great. very funny. She's also, she gives a great performance mm-hmm. of... of resentment that yes. um again you could look at this woman and be like what an asshole what an idiot but actually the resentment is so well acted it's that this you mix of white privilege and and resentment having a very famous person as, right. as a mother she does it so well she does it really well and at one point ava because ava can be really obnoxious and condescending made some comment to her about you know maybe you could get your ged and she gets so pissed uh-huh Rightly so. And she says, I went to Cornell. And again, this character is, she she doesn't, I don't want to call her an idiot, because she's clearly not an idiot, but she's flighty as hell. And she has an issue. She has a lot of issues with her mother. And the show allows for that level of complexity. Like, you know what? People like that go to Cornell, too. There is no, like, one type of person who's intelligent, one type of person who has a good degree or went to a good school. Um, and the jokes about L.A., the jokes about Vegas. Oh, the she coffee. Buys coffee. <laughs> She's like, oh, my God, it's so expensive. I love that. Because, <laughs> you know, L.A. coffee, you go to a coffee place. That's and $13. Then, and then you pay like $25 for a cup of coffee. <laughs> These little jokes, man. Yeah. These little moments. are just, you know, they're Highly filmmaking. recommended show. Yes. Can't recommend it enough. If it, this, it's already been picked up for a second season. Yes. The finale is emotionally very satisfying but then it ends on a total cliffhanger perfect cliffhanger yeah. actually so um get caught up i'm pretty sure it's gonna get a lot of emmy nominations so. i'm yeah. pretty sure both the lead actors will and it'll probably get some writing um nominations so that's hacks on hbo max now we're moving on to the world of fashion mm, with yeah. uh dr jill biden who yesterday, the Bidens flew to England for the G7 summit. It was a big deal that they're going to England for the first time. Um, and they were out with uh, Prime Minister Boris Johnson yesterday being photographed. In, um, and she's wearing a jacket, a black blazer. Now, excuse me, we featured her this morning and I mentioned then that, you know, she wears blazers over dresses. That's kind of her thing. Mm-hmm. And she wore the jacket before, the blazer before. Just the, the, this one. The, the love. It was a very pointed, I would say, uh, choice where it, it was a jacket with a message written on the back, and the message was love. And if you've been following Dr. Biden's sort of role, she's really been playing up the whole love thing in her husband's administration. They put big hearts on the right. lawn for, for uh, Valentine's Day. And she liked meaning, like she likes to um, send messages with with whatever she wears. Like, right. Remember the gown that she had all the state exactly. flowers or something yeah. written all over it? So uh, I'm just going to say, well, of course, everyone immediately, the press, the public, everyone immediately saw it as a sort of rebuke or callback to the infamous Melania jacket that she wore when she went to visit it. The border, uh, and it it said, "I really don't care to you," and it was just considered this horrifyingly cold and uh, it was. It was. nasty statement. And here comes Jill Biden wearing 
I, it's very hard not to see this as a mm-hmm. review. And and a reporter asked her about the the blazer, and she said we're we're bringing love from America. Some okay you know, explanation I, like that. I'm gonna be a real asshole here, and you're all gonna get mad at me. <laughs> but I cringed at this. I, I everything about this, I cringe. Listen, there's nothing wrong with promoting love. On the other hand, you are the wife of a world leader. You are not. Uh, you know, you're not RuPaul. Uh, I don't really know that promoting love is really in the brief. Like, it it not, just feels very right. I can, I can. I, first see of all, that. I can see a lot of great people in Great Britain looking at that and thinking it is the tackiest American thing I, they've ever seen. Yeah, I guess, but I don't know. I go back and forth on that. I think I, I had to put up with so much crap. See, I think that's what everybody thinks. Yes, that I, I. Uh, that's why it's seen as a review. I'm like, you know what? Why not? I'm not uh, saying she shouldn't, but there is a definite downside to this that she and her people probably weren't thinking of. And I said this on Twitter yesterday. There's no way in hell this doesn't become a thing from now mm-hmm. on. I hope the not. very next Republican first lady is going to wear a jacket with something written on the back. It may actually be love or or whatever. It may actually be, you know, make America great again. I don't know. But now that she has rebuked, Melania Trump like this public I really wish she hadn't done that it just turns it into a thing I I that's don't my problem like, with yeah it. I mean personally I don't like anything written on on my clothes uh, I just don't like, I don't even like t-shirts with things on that's just me right um I think it's I don't know you it yeah it's I, I like my privacy <laughs> even if it's my, even my thoughts need to be private I don't need to expose them on a, yeah. on a t-shirt or on a a jacket. That's just me. But I thought it was, you know, everyone is talking about it. Maybe that was the message. I don't know. This is why I am absolutely 100% sure that the next Republican First Lady is going to do the exact same and thing because everybody's is. talking about and it. Whatever. So now you turned something that Melania Trump did that was kind of awful into a tradition that where Melania Trump will forever be mentioned as the the person who started this floatist tradition, that, but I do appreciate the the good messages uh, through clothes. I mean, Kamala Harris wore again that multicolored stripe uh, pride thing. Yes. Oh, she did. I didn't see that. Yeah, she wore. I think no. I don't know if she wore it again, but they were bringing that up again. Anyway, oh. my point is that it's those messages are good messages as opposed to I don't give a fuck about you and the, here's my jacket. I mean, it's a major difference. Um, so I'm not putting them on the same level, but like I said, by doing this as a rebuke, other people will attempt to. Right. It's just it's a thing. I'm just come back to me in four to eight years when there's a Republican, and because there will be. Um, oh dear. Yeah, go ahead because there it the next first lady is going to do it. Um, and I just wished we hadn't gotten to this. I wish that that whole thing could have faded into the background. But I agree with you. It is a positive message. Dr. Jill is within her rights to do this. And she has worn this jacket before. before yes. So, But she know, also knows what she's doing. Of course they do. So it it's, yeah, it feels like a rebuke. And I am not against rebuking Melania Trump. But when you do that as the first lady... You are inviting so much backlash from her rabid fans that I just don't think this is going to be good in the long run. All right, I'll just drop it. Bring it on. Whatever. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) Now let's move on to really frivolous bullshit before we wrap this up, which is Lilibet Diane. Oh, God. Okay, you know what? I want you to have the freedom to talk about this. Like, we're going to take a. What do you think? Here's my freedom. Oh, God. What here do you think of the again. name? Okay, little bit Diana, in case you're like, I don't know, just landing here from another planet, is Harry and Meghan's new daughter. They named her uh, after the Queen's lifelong uh, family nickname, which is Lilibet, and her middle name is Diana. As many, many, many people pointed out, Princess Charlotte is named Charlotte Elizabeth Diana. So this is one of those things where people like feel like, you know, you're kind of jumping in on something that was already a step. But mm, I thought about it that yeah, way. Yeah, I mean, I have various nieces from various siblings. And if one sibling named their child roughly the same name as the other, it would be weird. Mm, interesting. On the other hand, 
Uh, I believe Harry has made it clear that both William and he had agreed years ago that they each had the right to name daughters after their mother. I believe that's something they both hammered out. Hmm. And Which is a um, weird kind of agreement anyway, but... It's their dead mother, who is iconic, and each one of them would want a daughter who would have... I guess, yeah. The advantages of being Diana's namesake. Yeah, we do Come have names like the first, the second, the third. Why not? Yeah. Exactly. It's a royal thing, actually. It's also a royal thing. I mean, there's. I'm pretty sure there's a lot of Elizabeths that were born into that family in the last 60 years. Right. Um, various also, cousins and stuff. But it's, um, I mean, I'm like, yeah, right. that's a little weird that you kind of went the same route. Now, Charlotte's name is Charles... You know, Charlotte is named after her grandfather, Elizabeth Diana, and it's notable that Charles was left out of this naming convention. <laughs> um, also, the fact that they were all talking about, oh, my God, he should have checked with his grandmother first. Well, he, apparently he did. He called her first, right? I find it ridiculous that people would assume that he didn't. Right. Come I mean, on. Harry gave a couple interviews where he badmouthed his family, but he's not an idiot. He knows how the how it works in that right. family. He knows that you can't do something like name your daughter after the queen without checking to, with yeah, you have the to, queen. Right. You have to ask permission. That is ridiculous. The right. the idea of the him just like surprising the family. I don't believe it one second. I just and it's not because I'm some crazy Harry and Megan fan. Harry and Megan fan. It's because you would have to think they were the biggest fucking assholes in the world. Like fuck the queen. I'm gonna surprise her by going against her. Come on. Whatever else you may... Yeah, you're sitting there going, well, hmm, maybe they are the biggest assholes in the world. Why did you just say it? No, I... I no, I... Do you think they actually did that? Do you think they just went ahead and named the baby a little bit without no, telling no, anyone? No, I, I, I truly believe that he called his grandmother or talked to his grandmother first. No, of course. Of course. No, of course. No, that's not it. I just don't... like. I don't get it. So her first name is a nickname, which is weird. Well, it's the queen. I, I know. I mean, it's, it's like naming a baby Jack or something. Jack is a nickname. True. You know what I mean? It's actually more common than you think. Yeah. Molly is a nickname. Like there that sort of All thing. All right. You made your point. Um, okay. <laughs> you made your point. Um, and I believe they intend to call her Lily. So it's actually Lily Diana, which Lily is kind of cute. Oh, I like Lily Diana. Yeah, that is kind of cute. <laughs> That's cute. Um, but it's just another example of those two... Um, First off, no matter what they do, it always turns into some sort of scandal. And they do a lot. But and anyway. that's the other thing is that I think they open themselves up to these things a lot. Um, oh, my God. I think I look, it's up to them. I mean, one of the things that was thrown out was that they were trying to mend things with the family by naming them after her naming her after her grandmother. But I do feel. Not here to criticize, but if they had named that baby some version of Doria Diana, I think people would have been so charmed by that, having her named after both her grandmothers mm. instead of her grandmother and her great-grandmother. Interesting. Um, and honoring both sides of that family. I mean, that is part of the reason why people feel it, it, it almost feels a little calculated, because they are only honoring his side of the family with this name, not hers at all. Which is, again, that theory that uh, we don't want anything to do with... with the royal family anymore, and yet we do. They never said they don't want anything to do with them. <laughs> anyway. um, and then the other thing is that, I didn't know this, but apparently Prince George, his nickname in the family before Archie was born was Archie. Mm. So this adds to you the whole... lot. This whole, uh, they're naming their children somewhat right. overlapping the way William is naming his children. And considering how things are so tense in, in the family right now, it does strike me as a little impolitic, if nothing else. Like, mm, maybe, maybe you probably shouldn't be stirring the nest that much. But then again, I, you know, that, that seems to be where they live, in that stirring the nest area. That's just the two of them. Anything to add? Mm, no. Come on, I brought this up to so you. No, no don't I, make me say I everything. I don't. I don't have much to add about that. You're I mean, scared, I, you little wimp. No, I'm not scared. I just, I just, I listen. I, I go to so many sites every day looking for articles and everything, and it's there's always something about them. They introduce the new baby to whatever they're doing. This they, you know, they suffer this. They hurt this. They, they did this. They liked this. It, there's always something about those two, and I'm just tired of them. See, you're free to say that. I'm not going <laughs> to scream at they you. They need for that. to take. Uh, 
don't know, a coffee break or something. I'm telling you, after, um, you know, they came to America and then we, we hit lockdown and then she became pregnant. So it'll be a little while, but there is no doubt in my mind that those two are going to hit like the Oscars red carpet and they're going to go to places like that. They're going to be like red carpet. Well, first off, they have development deals with like Netflix and, and, and you don't think he's going to get nominated for an Emmy for that Oprah series that he's doing? Oh yeah. They'll be at the Emmys. They Mm -hmm. are going to, when that, when she's better and recovered from, you know, childbirth or whatever, and I don't mean, or whatever childbirth, um, I guarantee, and lockdown is done. Mm-hmm. Everything, yeah, they're going to be the red carpet royals because they're already in the entertainment industry mm-hmm. and they live in Southern California. Right. Yeah, they're going to the Emmys and they're probably going to the Oscars and the press is going to go completely well, batshit. Well, in a way, I don't want to defend them here, but, you know, uh, Prince William and, 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 and... They go to the BAFTAs because he's the... Um, He's like the whatever. Yeah, but they go to all the they go to like ballet uh, performances I know, I and, know. and theater and all that. So why not? You know, yeah. kind of the same. But the press is going to go nuts, and the pardon me, the British press will tear them to shreds. Oh my shreds. god! Of if course, they go to the course. Emmys, <laughs> if Harry gets nominated for an Emmy with Oprah, oh my god. are you kidding me? That's hysterical. Anyway, I think that is it for this week. Did yeah. we cover all the bases? We did Pride. We did Royals. We did hacks. Joe Biden. We did Hacks. That is a pod parade once and again. And don't forget Rachel. Well, yeah, Harlow. Rachel. That's what I was just going to say. Once again, if anyone has any information on the whereabouts of Rachel Harlow, who for a time was also Rachel Finocchio and also Rachel Bilbo, which was her married name. Uh, if you know anything about where she is or how she's doing, we would love to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, if she wants to stay private, that's fine. We wouldn't bother her, but uh, she means a lot to us, and she means a lot to Philadelphia, yeah, and she true. means more to queer culture than I think the culture has recognized. She is an absolute legend. All right. Until next week, whatever when yes. we're back with whatever crosses so, our eyes. Thank right. you so much for everything. Follow follow us everywhere, people. Twitter, Instagram, the newsletter. Don't newsletter, forget the newsletter. Twirling. We got so much shit going on, you guys. I like know, you know, and I'm I working mean, on it. We're working on a book proposal. Like, yeah, there, there's Lord a lot mercy. going on. And thank you for all the messages on Instagram saying that you are going to be in DC and Vegas. We appreciate that very much. Yes. We love to see you guys there. Yes, we would. So until next week, um, and we'll be back with whatever crosses our eyes across our desks take care of yourself and until then love you mean it bye-bye